The Truth News Network. A sitting president blames the unvaccinated for the outbreak of a virus, but the outbreak is among the vaccinated. A vaccine maker announces their 98% effective vaccine is nowhere near as effective as they claimed, and now booster shots for life. How does this happen? It happens in the absence of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, brings it to clarity with Dan Newman. I am so glad we've gotten to Friday. Friday night, it's cool, it's crisp in northwest Louisiana. Thinking about getting some firewood to pile on the fire tonight and tomorrow to watch college football. It's so good to be in the fall, unofficially still, but it feels like fall in north Louisiana. Good morning everybody and welcome to this week's final edition of TNN Live, produced by truthnewsnet.org. So many things to dig into today. I mean, look about you. Look at the moving parts. Everything in our government, everything in our lives, everything seems to be in flux. No real firm answers about much of anything, but a whole bunch of opinions about everything. (laughs) I know you can understand and agree with that. You don't know where to go to get facts, and you just keep digging and questioning and looking. And you know what's sad, folks? I think there are a bunch of people in government that like that. They like the fact that we can't find the absolutes in many things that are critical in our lives. So we must look to them for the answers. And, of course, there's a big, big, big crowd of folks that jump up to get on that microphone to tell Americans, Here's what you're supposed to do, and here's how to do it. Here's who you listen to, and here's who you ignore. It's that bad. So I can tell you, I understand people struggling with all kinds of things in their lives, things that we for decades just took for granted. I mean, we took for granted that police were going to enforce the laws and hold those who break the laws accountable. We lived through decades, at least in my life I have, and when we just take for granted, the government's going to do the right thing. They're going to pass the right legislation in Congress, and the president, whoever's in office, is going to enforce the laws. It just doesn't happen that way anymore. So what are we supposed to do about all this? That's a great question. And one very salient point that we need to consider is that we have to do things about that. We have got to find ways to make life work. So let's begin today. I, um, I want to start right here. If you haven't read today's cover story at truthnewsnet.org, make sure you read it. But the title of it is, Will It Go Round in circles. Will it go round in circles? That's an interesting title, isn't it? I'd love to say it's original. But I took it from a song of all things. A song that was written and sung back in the 70s by Billy Preston. You probably don't even remember that name. Billy Preston. He was a great keyboard guy. African-American small guy about the same size as Prince. Remember him? Two really great musicians. Billy Preston was a phenomenal keyboard organist guy. Played a multiple uh, number 
of different instruments. And I met him one time, uh, actually met him. As a surprise, he was playing on one of Andre Crouch's great gospel singer, artist, multiple Grammy Award winner, one of his concerts, and just unbeknownst to us, as a matter of fact, we were promoting that concert, I think it was in South Louisiana. Um, And as they were setting up the equipment, there was this small African-American guy with a big, big hairdo. I mean, a fro. Big. I mean, really big. Almost as big as his entire head and shoulders. And there was a Hammond B3 organ sitting up there with a Leslie. And as they got ready to go, he got up and got on that organ. And he made that stinking organ rock. So much for Billy Preston. But will it go around in circles? That kind of fits what we're facing in our lives today, especially in politics. In Washington, D.C. in general, and this administration specifically, bad things seems always to be put on the back burner. When do they do that? When new bad things that dominate a news cycle or two, when that shows up, they just push the other to the back. It appears that the art of implementing forgetfulness in the American people works well, but only if an administration is successful at deflecting the angst among the people by quickly creating some new debacle to capture the attention of everybody. The hope is always to help the people forget about the old bad thing by substituting a new bad thing. Think through the chronology of devastatingly mishandled things by the Biden folks going all the way back to the beginning. First, it was the coronavirus pandemic and the vaccine rollout. Then it was the border crisis. Then it was the economy. And then, Afghanistan, where the Taliban hung people by the neck from U.S.-supplied Black Hawk helicopters. And the U.S. withdrawal has left behind a reported 1,000 Americans still locked up in hiding, along with thousands of green card holders in what now amounts to be the largest hostage crisis in American history. Biden folks aren't talking about that. And they're avoiding questions about it. Have you seen a Pentagon press briefing this week? Uh Uh-uh. They're hiding, folks. The administration is stumbling from one disaster to the next. There's no end in sight. Public opinion is plummeting on nearly every major issue. In each case, the disaster has been entirely of the Biden administration's own making. Events are not overtaking Biden. His own rank incompetence is doing that. Those events in Afghanistan where the Taliban control about 83 billion bucks worth of U.S. military equipment, 13 Americans were killed by an ISIS-K bomb, while an unknown number of U.S. citizens are hiding from the Taliban, are by far the most dramatic and disturbing display of incompetency and horrible policy from the Biden administration. And recent polling reflects that. But the Afghan disaster follows a train of incompetence that left the station on day one, January 20th this year. That was the first day of this presidency. As soon as Biden came into office, he signed executive orders that guaranteed we would have a migrant crisis on our southwest border. 
by reversing a raft of Trump-era policies that it had managed to control illegal immigration amid a worsening pandemic, Biden effectively just opened the borders, sending the message to would-be asylum seekers that if they could manage to get across the Rio Grande River with at least one kid in tow, they could stay. And if they sent their child alone, they would definitely stay. The results, of course, were predictable. A 20-year record surge in illegal border crossings that worsens every day. Corporate media largely stopped covering the border crisis, at least until this flood of Haitian asylum seekers in the Del Rio sector of the Texas border. The combined humanitarian southern border crisis added to the thousands of non-vetted Afghan refugees now in the U.S., and the Biden administration finds itself in the perfect storm. In that perfect storm, it entirely falls at the feet of Joe Biden. This historic migrant surge was not inevitable, regardless of what they say. It was a direct result of Biden's policies, which played out in an entirely predictable way. And the same holds regarding Afghanistan. No matter what the Biden folks tell you, factually, a written, detailed plan for withdrawal was handed to Joe Biden by Donald Trump. And Ed, Joe Biden picked up that plan and used it. It virtually eliminated illegal crossing at the southern border. Biden, in consultation with his spineless State Department minions together with a batch of military leaders, determined to spurn the Trump deal and do it, quote-unquote, right. Well, their version of right hasn't worked out so well for them, has it? The same goes for this administration's COVID-19 response. Biden campaign on having a plan to shut down the virus and end the pandemic. But so far, there seems to be no plan at all, or even a coordinated and consistent message from the White House. Contradictory and ever-shifting policies and recommendations on everything from school closures to mask and vaccine mandates have sown confusion and mistrust among Americans who are desperate to get back to work and get their kids back to school. And here we are 18 months into this thing. We don't seem to have any more factual information on which to base our decisions than we did before Biden came along. Uncle Joe finds himself really often trying to explain these travesties by coming up with one excuse after another. And he's swift every time you can book it to pass responsibility for each of these onto other folks. Some of those other folks in his administration, some are not. Let's look at Afghanistan for a moment. CENTCOM Commander General Frank McKenzie. He apologized after an investigation revealed that the U.S. had killed an innocent man, Zamari Ahmadi, and nine other civilians, including seven children, rather than the ISIS-K terrorist on August 29th in that drone strike. Though McKinsey accepted responsibility for what he called a tragic mistake, he didn't resign. He didn't resign. He's a general. He pushed the button 
that killed an innocent man and nine other civilians, seven of which were kids, and it was because of his decision, and he doesn't resign. Instead, he explained the circumstances for the strike, suggesting that the Pentagon believes it was legal under international law. Now, folks, let me remind the general. General McKenzie, just because that particular thing, according to people in the Pentagon, was legal, doesn't make it right. McKenzie told the media that the military had acted on intelligence that a white Toyota Corolla, a white Toyota Corolla, folks, a white Toyota Corolla is one of the most common automobiles on planet Earth. But they said a white Toyota Corolla would mount an attack. At no point did the military know who was driving the targeted vehicle. They say it was an ISIS-K planner. As explained last week, international law permits the use of such targeted killings under restricted circumstances. First, the target must be an enemy combatant. This one wasn't. The target generally must pose an imminent or ongoing threat, and this one did not. And the attack must minimize the risk to non-combatants, everybody in the car were non-combatants, and they all lost their lives in a split second. Mistaken identity or other mistakes do not by themselves constitute violations of international law. But if the strike was negligent or improperly motivated, there could be legal consequences. And then there's this thing, 10 people, innocent people, died at the hands of the United States in their own country. Under customary international law, the U.S. is required to investigate alleged violations of those laws. The Pentagon appears to think it has satisfied that requirement. But several questions remain about that strike. Let's look at them real quick. What did Joe Biden know, and did he authorize the strike? White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that Biden had delegated authority to the military, but he was regularly briefed. What did he know? Did he give the green light? Second, were there political motivations behind the strike? Did the White House pressure the Pentagon to come up with some response to that suicide bombing August 26, sufficient to provide political cover for the administration's bungled withdrawal? Third, why would the military launch an airstrike against an unknown person, absent compelling evidence of imminent threat? The most shocking aspect of the strike was that the Pentagon didn't know who was in the car. Fourth, was the U.S. fed bad intelligence by the Taliban or other bad actors? There's been a long suspicion that different groups in Afghanistan are real good about feeding false info to the U.S. to take out their rivals. Is that what happened in the Kabul strike? Fifth, what does taking full responsibility mean? Come on now, where are the hearings, the resignations, the prosecutions, demotions, or firings? McKenzie didn't rule out further consequences in his Pentagon press briefing, but he declined to lead by example. He should have stood at the podium and said, folks, I take responsibility for this. My mistake killed 10 innocent people. I'm going to resign. Uh-uh. Not happening in the Biden administration. Six. 
Why was the U.S. public fed a false story by the Pentagon and the White House for several weeks? The Pentagon said on August 30th there was a high degree of confidence in the target. The White House said much the same. Were they lying? They obviously were wrong. That's the best we could say about them. Seventh, why would the U.S. military settle for an evacuation where it had to rely on airstrikes? The Kabul airport guarded by the Taliban was defenseless, left the U.S. few options. Given the risk, why did the U.S. abandon Bagram Air Base? Eighth, how inaccurate is the U.S. military in general when it comes to airstrikes? The fact that this mistake happened ought to prompt an immediate review of U.S. airstrikes to determine whether their accuracy can be improved in the future. Number nine, will this compromise national security by discouraging legitimate, accurate, targeted killings? The use of targeted killings, like President Donald Trump's strike on Qasem Soleimani, is an important tool against terror. So have we lost that now? And finally, will the Biden folks apologize to the new Taliban regime and pay reparations to them? McKenzie dodged a press question about reparations. But if the Taliban regime presses the U.S. to apologize, it may find international support. So what else has Biden got mud all over his face about? How about build back better? That's Joe's mantra. He's been sharing it during his campaign and since. In the first eight months of him in the White House, the better part remains a mystery. Quite honestly, building back really won't happen unless and until he lets go of his totalitarian-style lockdowns and mandates. But there is something really new in the Biden economy. We've seen it before here in the U.S., but nothing like we're experiencing now. And here at TNN Live, we call it Bidenflation. As a direct result of Biden's executive orders that shuttered the XL pipeline project with simultaneous attacks across the board on the carbon energy sector of our economy, high-paying jobs were lost, people were out of work in a, every economic class, and the response to this cut the good supply chains in every sector of our economy, even toilet paper again. The result? Massive inflation. On Election Day 2020, November 3rd, in Shreveport, Louisiana, I filled my car tank that day for $1.65 a gallon for gas. Yesterday, I filled the same car at the same station for $2.69 a gallon and was lucky to get that price. Pundits preach that rise and fall in fuel prices are seasonal. Biden's fuel prices have not been seasonal. They were at this same level for the entire summer rush, which normally drives fuel prices up, and they remain the same, even after back-to-school happens. Groceries, building supplies, auto parts, restaurant prices, if you can get a seat, or if you're even eligible to go in now and all types of other service have all skyrocketed in cost. This is not some seasonal occurrence. It's the direct result of Bidenflation, and I hate to say this, but it's just getting started. Jen Psaki, or I gave her a new name, 
Pippi Longstockings. And if you remember that character, you know, red hair, Pippi wears pigtails. Jen might auto try them every once in a while. But anyway, Pippi Longstocking in the White House is known for her circle back statements when asked a question for which she has no ready answer in press briefings. That term circle back happens to fit across the gambit of Biden administration policies as we watch this administration implode. Americans would love it if Billy Preston's song would actually be answered with a circle back to the administration from four years ago. At least the economic, the foreign policy, the military, and immigration environment during the Trump administration. If Joe Biden is a smart cookie he's made himself out to be in his 50 years in D.C., one would expect for his awakening to his self-destruction in the White House. He'd get it. Not only does it seem that none of the things detailed above will ever be rolled back, but it also appears that Mr. Biden has no clue exactly what they are or what they're doing to the American people. And if he really does know what they are and what they're doing and continues to press forward to ensure their damage will be perpetuated throughout his term in office, we Americans better look out. That would mean we have a real totalitarian in the White House. If he is not cognizant of what is happening, that would confirm he is cognitively declined and he must leave office. Now, I know that means Kamala Harris would become president and a vice president would be named and confirmed by the Senate to replace her. I can't imagine what a Harris administration would look like. (laughs) A Biden continuation assures U.S. decline in every area even worse that it sees now. At least Harris could somewhat be harnessed and slowed a bit. And because I use the term harness, somebody's going to say I'm racist. I bet you, kind of like the horse thing at the southern border. No matter the name of the person piloting this ship, the ship, the good ship USA, is in trouble. So let's hope we can keep the boat afloat, (laughs) at least through the 2022 midterms. And that's the way it is, folks. Will it go around in circles? I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Think about it. I've got a song, I ain't got no melody. I'm gonna sing it to my friends. I've got a song, I ain't got no melody. I'm gonna sing it to my friends. Will it go round and circle? Will it fly high like a bird? I've got a story, ain't got no mother. Let the bad guy win every once in a while. Will it go round in circles? Will it fly high like a bird up in the sky? Will it go round in circles? 
music move me around I've got a dance, I ain't got no steps I'm gonna let the music move me around When it goes round in circles When it fly high like a bird up in the sky When it goes round in circles When it fly high like a bird That kind of matched the title of today's story. Billy Preston, God rest his soul. He, uh, in the late career of the Beatles, he did a couple of concert tours with the Beatles, and uh, he played Hammond organ. You heard him on the keyboards there. Hey, guess what happened just a, just a few moments ago? There's some new news out nationwide. Good news as it happens about COVID-19. Wow. We've got it here for you right after this. Lights, camera, movie. There's nothing like watching a movie to take you to another place or time. And there's no better place to watch than Drome Cinema. And no better time than the time it takes you to get from where you are to where we are. You'll break box office records of fun as you take a trip to Tinseltown Movieville, USA. Action, cut, quiet on the set. Our theaters feature noise-absorbing fabric, guaranteeing the only thing you hear is the movie. That high-pitched shuttle drone is normal. It's the sound your ears hear when there's nothing for your ears to hear here. So come on down and enjoy the movies where everyone's a star. 
Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Just for a moment, let's put in context how this COVID-19 thing happened geographically. You know, people first started getting sick in Asia, and it was just a few here and there, and we couldn't figure anything out. And then it began to spread into Europe. And then, of course, we were the recipients later than pretty much everybody else. Well, everything since then, every development about COVID-19, including all the medications, how human beings are responding to it, all those kind of things have also come. They initially start in Asia, then Europe, then in North and South America. That's the way it's always happened. Well, you would expect good news to happen the same way, right? Well, guess what? There is some good news about the potential ending of the COVID-19 pandemic. What do you mean, Dan? Yesterday they were talking about how bad it is. They've been screaming about these multiple different variants that are headed to the U.S. we've got to get prepared for. Everybody's got a vax. Everybody must be vaxxed. Kids now. They want kids 12 and under to be vaxxed. Well, guess where it's happening first? Norway. Norway is going to end all COVID-19-related restrictions starting Saturday, tomorrow. The government announced this first thing this morning, joining a growing list of countries and states in Europe that have removed pandemic curbs. Here's what the official statement said. It's been 561 days since we introduced the toughest measures in Norway in peacetime. Now the time has come to return to a normal daily life. That's Prime Minister Ernest Solberg. The virus can now be considered as one of just several respiratory illnesses with seasonal variation. That's according to the Assistant Director for the Norwegian Institute of Public Health. In Norway, COVID-19 has been classified as a generally dangerous disease, 
But the official classification is going to change, the Prime Minister said. We're now in a new phase where we must look at the coronavirus as one of several respiratory diseases with seasonal variation. This is because the vast majority of those at risk are protected. Norway will no longer require businesses to implement social distancing measures. It will also allow sports and cultural venues, as well as restaurants, to use their full capacity. Nightclubs can also reopen under these new guidelines. We've lived a long time with strict measures at the borders. This has been important in combating imported infections. When we now move on to a normal everyday life, the government proposes a gradual reduction of the restrictions on entry into the country. This will take place under close supervision. That's from the Minister of Justice and Emergency Management, Monica Malin. The country will also allow restriction-free travel from some countries, namely from European nations, so-called purple list countries, and the UK. Notice not the US. Solberg had so far implemented the first three stages of a four-step plan to remove social and economic restrictions that they've imposed and been living under since March of last year. But the final step was postponed several times amid worries over infection rates. In short, we can now live as normal. But the Prime Minister warned, those who do contract COVID-19 must still go into isolation to avoid spreading the virus. Some restrictions will still apply to those arriving from countries considered to have a high rate of infections. Nearby Sweden earlier this month announced it's going to remove most of its COVID-19 restrictions. Swedish government on September 7th said that they were contemplating removing theirs on September 29th. Now, why haven't we heard about this in the UN, or excuse me, the US media, mainstream media? Why haven't they been talking about it? I mean, all we hear over here is we're going to die. We're still fighting everything about COVID-19 and all the information. We have more conflicting news coming out this morning from our CDC and the FDA. We just can't seem to get together and get our arms around anything. I mean, it's crazy. I mentioned now some more vaccine mandates. Children age 12 and older may have to receive, have to receive COVID-19 vaccine before returning to school in California. That's according to the state's top health official. While speaking at a news conference yesterday, Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Gailey of California was asked about the rumor of a potential statewide mandate for kids returning to class. He said no decision has been made yet for students, but said officials are considering the move. Quote, that conversation is part of what we're considering as a state but no definitive action is being made at the moment. It's been a long conversation about vaccines in schools and their role in protecting students. We, of course, are always looking at the data, understanding where there are opportunities to ensure California is vulnerable, those who can be protected are protected through vaccinations. L.A. County, 
biggest county in the United States, actually, Los Angeles County, earlier this month voted to approve a resolution requiring vaccinations for kids attending public school. This week, the Oakland Unified School District in the Bay Area voted to require those vaccinations. Yes, Pfizer's vaccine was authorized for emergency use in kids age 12 and older earlier this year. Pfizer and Moderna have recently submitted data and bids to try and recommend vaccines for kids under the age of 12. You know what? You know what just comes to mind here when we when we back up a little bit. You know, we live at ground level. We all do. So what does that mean? Everybody lives at ground level, Dan. Yeah, we all do. We're on planet Earth. But there are some people that have the ability to kind of back away a little bit, not look at only the things that are right there in front of their faces at that particular time, and just kind of move up. I like to call it the 10,000-foot level. If you've ever done any private flying at all, you know that being at 10,000 feet is a real comfortable height and you can see so much around you, directly below you, but not just there, up ahead, off to the east, off to the west. I think if we back up a little bit, I think if our officials in government, the so-called medical experts, people like the National Institute of Health, CDC, FDA, I think where they are, and I think without question where they are in their thinking, is at ground level. And they only deal with things that are right in front of their faces at the time. Let me give you a simple comparison. Uh, This morning, way before sun came up, I jumped on my Harley and I took off riding, going a little bit north on I-49 and catching another four-lane going west 3132 is the number. That particular exit off 49, it exits to the right, and it's an overpass that goes back up over the interstate 49 going off to the west. And at night, that big high overpass, the curve, it's a pretty sharp curve. And if you're on a motorcycle and it's dark, you get a little nervous typically when you're going uphill and there's a curve and you can't see around the curve, especially when it's really dark. And so what you're tempted to do is keep your eyes on the ground right in front of your front wheel. And when you do that, you lose the perspective of being where you are in context of not just right there on that spot. You're moving forward, and if you can make yourself look up over your windshield and look up ahead a few hundred yards and not look straight down, the fear that you have about hitting the wall or not turning sharp enough, it goes away immediately. I've dealt with that for 20 plus years driving motorcycles all across the country. If if you're taken, all your concentration is focused on ruts right in front of you rather than looking up the road and looking ahead so that you can keep your mind clear and maybe get an idea about what's coming up and what you need to do to be prepared for. You'll find out that you've got a better perspective about life, and when there are bad things on their way to confront you, you're better prepared. 
You've started thinking about them. You've been looking ahead and thinking about maybe just the likelihood, maybe just a possibility. But you're not blindsided when you get to those things. And I think when we talk about this thing with Norway and Sweden, I feel that's what their nation leaders are doing. They're looking ahead instead of just concentrating on today and concentrating on whatever their political perspectives are, what their goals and objectives are. If their goals and objectives are to get their nations back on their feet, to get the different elements, the cogs in the wheels of their government moving and serving the people, which is what governments are supposed to do everywhere, I think you make more objective, more realistic, and more thoughtful decisions than if your vision about where you're going is just right in front of your face and no further down the road. And it's dangerous. And in saying all of that regarding COVID-19, I refuse to diminish the fact that it is a very serious, deadly disease. People that I know that I would never think would even get sick with COVID-19 or anything else like this have passed away. And not just a couple of them. Many of them have. And yes, there are a lot of political issues that are all wrapped up in everything to do with COVID-19. We know that now, which keeps us from getting a lot of truths, a whole lot of truths. And you're going to hear from some of that, about some of that in just a moment. In fact, so much so, I want to go back now, the VAERS report, the vaccine adverse effects the resource numbers. These are things that are reported to the CDC. This is two weeks ago, the report that came out. Now, this is about the vaccination, adverse effects to the vaccinations. Hospitalizations, 60,000. Urgent care, separate from hospitalizations, 80,000. Doctor's office visits. Now, these are over the vaccine adverse reactions, 110,000. Anaphylaxic shop. 6,000, Bell's palsy, 8,100, miscarriages, 1,800, 6,600 heart attacks, 5,700 cases of myocarditis or pericarditis, 20,000 people have been permanently disabled, thrombocytopenia, low platelet count, 3,000, life-threatening effects, all different kinds. 15,000, severe allergic reaction, 28,000, shingles, 8,153. This is just since the vaccinations, since the first of this year. And if you put it in the context of what happens around the world, happens in the United States, since we began to monitor any kind of problems that come from any vaccinations, which is back in 1993. What's happened, these adverse effects, just the deaths, by the way, which are right at 15,000. 15,000 people have died as a direct result of vaccination adverse effects. 15,000. That number is more than the total number of the deaths of everybody in the nation regarding all vaccinations. Since 1993, in eight months, we eclipse the number of deaths from COVID-19 vaccinations 
than the vaccinations from 1993 to January 1st this year from all of the disease vaccinations on the planet. That's hard to believe, folks. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of things that are uncomfortable. There's a lot of politics in everything to do with COVID-19. And there's a lot of consternation among the American people because we know stuff's wrong. We know there's political stuff going on. And we know that a lot of it has nothing, or if anything at all, very little to do with the context, the substance of COVID-19 and how to fight it. Just look at the drug wars. I mean, come on now. Drug wars. We here in the United States, the greatest country on the planet Earth, especially in medicine, in research, in development of new medications, and the treatment of diseases, we're known as being number one. And yet we've let politics take over medicine. Politics has stepped in and there is daily infighting among the different divisions of the medical health system in the United States. The experts all get into politics and nobody knows what the heck is going on. Look at the drug. Look at the stuff, the treatments and stuff that have been happening And look at what the political experts have said about it. You remember the hydroxychloroquine, the debacle that was instituted by, initiated at least, in politics by Dr. Anthony Fauci in those White House briefings. The White House was contacted directly by a doctor from upstate New York, Dr. Zelensky, who had been treating very ill COVID-19 patients in his town, which is about 100 miles north of Manhattan. And he had treated them with a cocktail led by hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc, and some other different elements that he would throw in depending on particular circumstances. But in a thousand patients, one died. And that was someone who had bad comorbidity issues. He couldn't get anybody to come talk to him. So he got through to the White House. President Trump got in the conversation at the first White House COVID-19 press briefing in which hydroxychloroquine was even mentioned. Anthony Fauci was, well, you know, that hadn't been proven, hadn't been tested by the FDA, hadn't been proven nor approved to use for these kind of diseases. He kind of poofed it. Then after that, he got on his horse and went all negative. Forget about the facts. Forget about what happened. There are millions of people that are alive today here and abroad, and their medical experts, some of the other leading experts in this field on the planet, in Europe, that had done already some exhaustive testing. No, they weren't FDA laboratory approved and peer-reviewed studies. Folks, let me just tell you this about the FDA. They are pointed to to be the gods, the arbiters of everything to do with medicine, medication, medical treatments of all kinds. Nobody wants to touch anything unless the FDA fully approves it. Well, guess what, folks? The FDA is as political as anybody else in Washington, D.C., or maybe even more. Two of the people that sit on the board are former Pfizer officers, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. So you think they're going to be unbiased and be totally science-driven in any of the decisions that they make regarding medications? You know, drug stuff. 
you know, regarding Pfizer, their old company. And that's just one example. But let me give you one that is very applicable. From 2008 to January 1st of this year, the FDA has approved 8,000 medicines for full use according to prescriptions and under a doctor's care. Now, wait a minute. They've approved thousands more. What 8,000 are you talking about? I'm talking about 8,000. They fully investigated, controlled laboratory testing, made everything, dotted every I, crossed every T, everything's okay. 8,000 they approved had to be taken off the market because there were horrible side effects including a lot of deaths. 8,000, they said, were great. And obviously, they were great. So what are you saying, Dan? I'm saying politics is threatening to just take over our nation. In large part, it already controls a big chunk of the nation. So we, we started talking about the medication thing. Another one, ivermectin. Ivermectin. Now, hydroxychloroquine has been used in the United States, rampant use, for 70 years, very effectively. Very few adverse reactions. Ivermectin hadn't been out that long, but it's been out for more than a decade, two decades, as a matter of fact. And even in 2015, two medical scientists were awarded the Nobel Prize for Medicine for Ivermectin. And, of course, it's almost identical when it came to the marketplace and people, doctors, started talking about its effectiveness and began to share the news that good things happened among their patients when they prescribed ivermectin to treat COVID-19. And then the Fauciisms took over, just as when the discussion of hydroxychloroquine began. Fauci got up and said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, ivermectin's been used very effectively in some animals. It's a veterinary drug. It's not made for human consumption, yada, 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 yada. Same thing happened again. So this morning, there's a story coming out west about a bunch of COVID, a bunch of COVID-19 patients that have been treated by their physician, Using ivermectin. Listen to this story. It is a medication that has been around a while, but is now the subject of quite a bit of controversy when it comes to being a COVID-19 treatment. You've probably heard people talking about ivermectin. So a local nurse practitioner is prescribing it to her patients, and she says it works. Fox 26's Rashi Vance is looking into the latest on the drug and its usage. The biggest question lies, should ivermectin be used to treat COVID-19? While clinical studies abroad suggest it works, the FDA hasn't approved it, but studies are currently being done in the U.S. This is according to them. But there's no time to wait on official approval, according to some, battling COVID. So that's why many local Houstonians are giving the drug a chance. Daniel and Morgan Wagner both had COVID-19 in the past few months. Neither are vaccinated. Daniel had it the worst. But I figured since I was in my mid-30s and I was healthy, that this would be nothing, right? And I'd just get over it. That didn't happen. His wife was the first to get the virus. She recovered from COVID-19, she says, due to the off-label ivermectin prescribed to her. Now she was taking care of him. 
I'm a mom. I stay at home with my kids. Um, I treat colds at home. Um, I don't treat bilateral pneumonia or COVID. They got the medicine from nurse practitioner Cheryl Marlitz, who says she's prescribed the drug to nearly 2,000 patients. 600 of them, she says, were severe cases. She says she combines that with other medication depending on the case, like zinc and vitamin C. I follow up with every single one of my patients, um, especially the, in that 600 group. Um, and I ask about side effects. Ocular pain is a big one, nausea, vomiting, essentially no um, side effects. And so it just it baffles me why um, so many are hesitant to use it. The FDA doesn't approve of it, so hospitals don't prescribe it, even the off-brand label. Recently, the American Medical Association announced they strongly oppose the ordering, prescribing, or dispensing of ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID-19 outside of a clinical trial. Dr. John Farley with the FDA spoke to the AMA. That many of the trials which report a benefit were conducted in other countries without any oversight by the FDA. So we actually have no way of confirming whether the results reported in those trials are real or not. We do have large and well-designed clinical trials going on in this country and others, which should tell us more about whether ivermectin is helpful in treatment. Since there are no clinical studies that have been published overseen by the FDA here in the United States, and you're going off of other studies internationally overseas, some may say that's irresponsible to do. Yeah. And I would just say, um, I, I can't argue that. Um, all I can say is that I'm prescribing within an appropriate dosing range and I'm seeing the clinical benefits firsthand of, of patient outcomes. Why is it so hard to find a doctor to talk about this? So unfortunately, I'm sure you've heard of what's happened to like frontline doctors and stuff like that. It can't, getting canceled and criticized is a really big thing. I have family members that are scared for me to do this interview. Big takeaway is that clinical trials are being conducted right now by the FDA on ivermectin for COVID-19. It is possible in the future. The drug would be approved by the FDA to treat the deadly virus. In the newsroom, Rashi Vats, Fox 26 News. A lot of things came out of what you just heard there. Did you hear the constant reference, even regarding testing of ivermectin overseas? Of course, the FDA does not oversee. (laughs) FDA is the United States federal agency. It's not a world-controlling, all-consuming, supervising, policing agency for everything to do with health care for the entire globe. Three people in that said it hasn't been approved overseas. It hadn't been approved by our FDA. Testing going on hasn't been approved by our FDA. That same FDA that approved for full use 8,000 medications in a little over a decade that each one had to be removed from sale to the general public because of all kinds of adverse effects, including deaths. So they missed it 8,000 times. Now, the other piece of this, the one that I think, the only one that matters, you hear this all the time. It's my body. It's my choice. My body, my choice. That, of course, is in the context of abortion and the back and forth. You can't tell me not to abort my baby because it's my body. It's my choice. What's the difference here? What is the difference here? 
Don't you think that my body, my choice ought to rule here? Shouldn't we in America, this is the freest country on the planet, at least we used to be. We have not a government-given right. We're not endowed from the government with our rights to the pursuit of happiness. We're endowed by our creator. It's what the founding documents of this nation say. And so the government's stepping in and they're basically saying, you don't have those endowed rights from the creator. We are controlling your rights. So in the context of being real and forget about political stuff, because all of this, folks, what you just heard, what we've been talking about, what we've been living in for 18 months now, even before then, it's political health care. That's all it is. It's not health care. It's political health care, which is all driven. All policies, all decisions, all mandates are driven by the political narrative. The partisan narrative that these so-called experts want for us to live in and live through. That's what drives it. Not what's best, not what's right, and certainly not what's free. In a real America, the one that was set up and worked so successfully for 250 years or so, it created and supported an environment where the American people were entrusted to make the choices for their own personal selves and their family members based upon what they think is best. I long for the world in which educated parents, people that have deep, deep feelings, maybe ideas, maybe principles that others don't have, but the government's not going to step in and just mandate because we're the government, because we know more than you do, and because we're in power. You can't do that, or you must do that. What we need to do, it's good to look around. It's good to get ideas. It's good to test. While all of these so-called controlled tests are underway over ivermectin, Guess what's happening every day? Americans are dying. So this health care, this public health care, government health care environment in which we live, folks, they're picking and choosing who's going to die. I promise you, of the 600,000 deaths that all are not at the hands of COVID-19, regardless of the numbers, the stats that come out, they admit it now. A lot of those numbers are grossly inflated. In fact, many think less than half of that are the real numbers. Those are real numbers. Those are real people that died of COVID-19, not minimizing that at all. But what I will tell you is I guarantee you a large number of those people that died at the hands of COVID-19, if they were given the opportunity to try ivermectin under their doctor's care, and they used it, and they were treated by their doctor, at the time in the same manner that all thousands and thousands of these people that have used it and survived and doing well today, a bunch of those death numbers, maybe half, would still be alive today 
But our government, the FDA, won't approve ivermectin. Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan, spin-free news from the world. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the Bathroom. For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. That's one of the most distinctive sounding beginnings of a song ever. That's the Doobie Brothers. Michael McDonald about to kick it up there with this great voice, taking it to the streets. You remember that? What a great sound that was. Back to business here at TNN Live. Don't forget, tomorrow is on truthnewsnet.org, bullet point Saturday. A lot of stories happening through the week that you don't have time to dig into, but you don't want to miss any of the facts, the big ones that you need to know about. What we do every Saturday, we collect them all. We put them together in an article. It's called Saturday Bullet Points. And I guess we usually pick 10 to 15 of the biggest stories to make sure that you've gotten all the details. And we put them in bullet points. You read two or three sentences about a particular happening. And if at the end of the two or three sentences, you need more information or want more information, there's a blue arrow there, which is a hyperlink. You click on it and it takes you to the full story. Maybe you've already heard that story and you don't need to hear any more. So you just go on to the next bullet point. It's a good way to start your weekend and to make sure that you didn't miss anything that you needed to know about that happened during the previous week. It'll be live at 1.45 a.m. tomorrow morning. And I got to be honest with you, between now and then, you can book it. There's going to be a lots of more information and news that things have happened that you're not going to hear about because you're busy today. You're busy every day. We got them for you here, TNN. Well, there's a lot of consternation going on about everything to do with COVID-19. New York City's vaccine mandate, it started two weeks ago. And it requires proof of vaccination to get into certain public spaces. That includes gyms, restaurants, bars, unless a person has an approved medical exemption. New York officials call the program the key to NYC pass. Isn't that a cool name? Well, Hawk Newsom, who's the co-founder and chairman of Black Lives Matter of Greater New York, He argues that the mandates are fundamentally, guess what, racist, given the low rate of vaccination among members of the black community. 
85.6% of black people in the state of New York, almost 90, 85.6% remain without one dose even of a COVID-19 vaccine. I think in a perfect world, Hawk said, vaccine requirements should be business by business, but it could be a slippery slope. So right now, the mandate should be removed completely. It's not going to be white men in suits on Wall Street who are going to get stopped going into these places. There's such hypocrisy in this thing. The Washington Examiner points out some 70% of black people in New York City alone, aged 18 to 44, have not received the shot. There's a bunch of different reasons claimed for the lag in shots there, including religious beliefs and distrust of government. I share that one. Got to be honest with you. It's black people who have a natural distrust of the vaccine, Newsom said. He cited the Tuskegee syphilis study as an example of historic distrust by blacks of the U.S. medical community, despite the fact that vaccines are accessible to people of all racial groups. Black Lives Matter New York is advocating for the complete abolition of all vaccine requirements, not only in the city, but on a national level. Hawk Newsom is a Baptist. He told a news outlet he is especially worried the vaccine mandates do not allow for religious exemptions. How dare they remove religious exemptions, he said. It's the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. Now the government has decided your God doesn't matter. I love God. Javona Newsom, a fellow co-founder of Black Lives Matters New York, threatened an uprising in the wake of these mandates. We're putting this city on notice. Your mandate will not be another racist social distance practice. Black people are not going to stand by or you will see another uprising. And that is not a threat. That is a promise. The vaccination passport is not a free passport to racism. The pushback against vaxes requirements is not limited to the general New York City area. A wider spectrum of black voters driving down President Biden's approval rating after the administration mandated vaccines for medium and large businesses earlier this month. According to a Monday morning consult poll earlier this month, President's job performance has shrunk five points to 71% among blacks since the vaccine mandate. Black voter disapproval of Biden also increased seven points. The poll additionally indicates support for Biden's handling of the coronavirus crisis has dropped nine points to just 61% since the end of August. The poll illustrates unvaxxed black voters have notched Biden's job performance lower since the vaccine mandate. Once again, big government, big government ratcheting down on the people, we the people, the free people that are endowed by our unalienable rights by our creator, the government's taking over. And here's one that just frosts me this morning. I read this and it blew me away. The Biden administration released a statement of administration policy three days ago that said the provision regarding military members that refuse the vaccine. Here's their justification. 
Doing so would detract from readiness and limit a commander's options for enforcing good order and discipline when a service member fails to obey a lawful order to receive a vaccination. So they're talking about kicking them out of the military if you don't take the vaccination. To enable a uniformed, uninformed force to fight with discipline, commanders must have the ability to give orders, take appropriate disciplinary measures. This is from the White House. An Army veteran and physician tweeted in response to that statement, the president is trying to strip out my amendment preventing anything but an honorable discharge for service members who refuse to get the COVID-19 vaccine. An amendment so common sense that every Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee agreed to it. The discussion here is there is before Congress now a bill that any service member that is kicked out of their service for refusing to take a COVID-19 vaccine will receive a dishonorable discharge. Can you believe that? House member Green argued at a House Armed Services Committee markup of that bill earlier, any discharge other than honorable denotes a failure to serve the U.S. to the best of one's ability, and it significantly impacts an individual for the rest of their lives, future employment, things of that nature. He added, our men and women in uniform put their lives on the line to serve. We should not destroy those lives with a dishonorable discharge just for making a personal medical decision. My body, my choice. Where is that? The Biden administration also strongly opposes another provision that would provide an exemption for troops who have had previous infections and have natural immunity. It said Section 2720 of the bill would create a new and overly broad exemption from the VAX requirement for previous infection that would undermine the effectiveness of the requirement. So here's what Section 716 of that bill states. Notwithstanding any other provision of a law, a member of an armed force under the jurisdiction of the Secretary of a military department subject to discharge on the basis of the member choosing not to receive the COVID-19 vaccine may only receive an honorable discharge. That's the proposed amendment. The White House opposes it. Section 720 says, the Secretary of Defense shall establish uniform procedures under which covered members may be exempted from receiving an otherwise mandated COVID vaccine for administrative, medical, or religious reasons, including on the basis of possessing an antibody test result demonstrating previous COVID-19 infection. And the Biden folks are dead set against it all. Wow, 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 wow. Now, let's just fast forward. Another debacle. And when I say another, it's been going on and on and on and on and on for months and months and even years. Southern border fiasco. You knew we'd get there. (laughs) Guess what was happening early this morning, even before the sun came up and Del Rio, Texas, you know, where those 20,000 up, the number was at one point about 20,000 Haitian refugees living under that bridge. 
Well, as the sunshine came up and television cameras were able to capture what was going on, heavy equipment down there, the federal government is clearing that all out. And those Haitians heretofore living under the bridge aren't there. That's interesting. And of course, they haven't told us where they are, they being the Biden administration. One thing we do know for sure, even the mainstream media has been on that border all day, every day since this Haitian debacle began. Flood of Haitian immigrants coming, wanting in the U.S. and the Biden folks opening up their arms and saying, come on in, every day. And that is, in large part, is the reason for Biden's approval numbers across the nation, across every segment of our population and our voters. I can't tell you when, if ever, I've ever seen a president face this kind of instant, massive decline. And it's all based on what he's doing and what he's not doing and the fact that we're not being kept in the loop The media is not being kept in the loop about what's going on and why. It makes you wonder why that is happening. Those who watch the Biden folks instigate the destruction of our southern border early in the year were appalled by the images of the lawlessness, the overcrowding, the mismanagement. Some may have thought it couldn't possibly have been worse than that. (laughs) But we're quickly learning. It can always get worse with Joe Biden and his folks in charge. We recently saw another big shocking scene. More than 10,000 migrants, predominantly from Haiti, were crossing the Rio Grande and taking shelter under that overpass bridge in Del Rio. Del Rio, total population about 40,000. There were 20,000 Haitians living under a bridge. Immigration enforcement officials were overwhelmed. They were forced to play a completely reactive game. They couldn't plan and prepare and put anything in place to handle this. They didn't expect it. It's time to call this what it is, folks. The planned demolition of the United States as we know it, perpetrated by the elected officials who took an oath to protect and defend the nation. So this situation playing out down there raises a bunch of questions that our media won't ask. Why won't they ask? Because of their allegiance to the anti-borders left. How did so many destitute citizens of Haiti, which is a little island in the Caribbean, how'd they all of a sudden show up in northern Mexico? Well, thanks to reports from independent journalists who interviewed some of these migrants, we learned that most of them were actually living for years in Chile and Brazil, not Haiti. The left has painted the picture. I mean, Democrats have been out parading about this. Kamala Harris, vice president, she's done one interview that I've seen about this, and she just went on and on and on about the horrible conditions of the Haitian people that they're experiencing because of another earthquake. They didn't even recover yet from the one 10 years ago, and they have no place to go. Most of the people, almost all of them that are at the southern border, the Haitian people, didn't come here from Haiti. Wow. Still, one doesn't simply walk from Chile to Mexico. 
like the caravans that have turned up on our border before now. These migrants are just pawns. It's part of an organized effort by drug cartels, sex trafficking cartels, and non-governmental organizations who operate in the shadows while they're changing our country for the worst. Despite the lack of critical media coverage, it's out there, but not like it should be. This meltdown at the border has greatly eroded Biden's standing in job approval polls. To staunch the bleeding, the White House made a public show of deporting some Haitians on planes back to their homeland. But this was little more than symbolic posturing to give Biden some political cover. Immigration experts, they've determined that those sent back were just a tiny number of single adults who apparently forgot to claim fear of returning home as grounds for an asylum claim. Those that were still under the bridge as of this morning, the vast majority of those who came across are being processed for distribution throughout the United States, not for being sent home. As a matter of fact, this number leaked out from Homeland Security overnight. They make it sound like, oh, you looked at, look, there was 20,000 under the bridge. Look, there's only a couple of thousand left. We dispersed them all. They're all gone. They want Americans to believe that they processed them, they're being deported. In fact, they announced that they were chartering planes to take them back to Haiti. None of that's true, folks. None of it's true. They've been moving them around the nation in the dark of night, every night. There's a bunch of them that are being put on buses and put on chartered planes. They're moved around the country, all 50 states now have been distributed illegal immigrant Haitians and they're living there. Lost in the chaos of all of this, and it's nothing but chaotic, is the fact that Haiti has one of the lowest COVID vaccination rates in the world. Are any of these people being vaccinated for COVID prior to their release in the U.S.? The answer is no. Jen Psaki, Pippi Longstockings, was asked yesterday about that very thing. In her response, she flipped over in her leaflet on the podium that she puts up there every time she does a press briefing, and she found a page and she read it. Our partners, which she's talking about, the NGOs, the non-government organizations, most of those are big charities, we're turning the responsibility for vaccinations over to these NGOs, and they have a plan to offer vaccinations to these illegal immigrants. In other words, the answer to the question, do we know how many have been vaccinated, is no, we don't know. Doubtful, as Afghan refugees were merely given the option for vaccination, but wasn't required to do so. But American citizens, hey, 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 we're held to strict mask mandates in schools, proof of vaccination to go in and get a coffee in Manhattan and other places. How nativist and xenophobic can America really be when we hold our own citizens to high standards that aren't required of those entering the country illegally, many of who have COVID-19. So while Biden runs a loose ship when it comes to immigration, 
He can turn into Kim Jong-un when it comes to hiding the embarrassing details from the public. As the Haitian crisis was exploding, Biden's Federal Aviation issued a temporary flight restriction on drones. Remember this last week? Drones, media outlets were flying drones all around the Del Rio area documenting what was going on there. So the FAA said, hey, you drones, you can't get around that overpass in Del Rio. And they lifted the order. You know when they did and why they did? After Fox News and others publicly shamed the White House for its authoritarian tactics. Remember, they've kept the media away from the southern border, giving zero access for the media to go talk to any of these illegals, not just these Haitians but the ones even before them. The Biden folks seem eager to do things that damage the country. They just don't want us to know about it. They don't want us to hold them accountable for their damage, which is significant. Another tactic is to play fast and loose with immigration numbers. And they do this to create the perception that they're tough on enforcing the border. They recently touted the statistic that migrant encounters at the border were down 2% in August compared to July. What they don't tell you is that migrant encounters last month were up a whopping 317% compared to August of last year. Also, as Immigration Reform Law Institute Senior Fellow and former ICE Acting Director Tom Homan recently explained to us, any drop in migrant encounters is negated by the fact that border crossings and gotaways are continuing to rise. This is due to the fact that border agents are pulled away from their post along the border. They've got to go to places like Del Rio and the hundreds of them to deal with the crises like the one currently unfolding there. And when that happens, guess what? Cartels from Mexico can traffic more people and drugs across the unmanned border areas, and the problems worsen. If not another ounce of fentanyl comes into this nation than we've already documented comes in, which means there's a whole bunch more that came in that we didn't catch. Just the fentanyl that we caught at the southern border when these drug runners were coming in, there was enough fentanyl contained in all of that that was seized to kill every United States American, every one of us. How much did we miss? How much is still coming through? Nobody can paint this as anything other than a man-made humanitarian, national security, medical crisis. And all of it falls at the hands of the guy in charge, the guy at the top. He himself said over and over again, and he still says it, the buck stops here. In other words, I'm responsible, but he never takes responsibility. All that is is a talking point to him. Jen Psaki bristled yesterday after reporters questioned why Biden's effort to secure the border were being compared by members of his own party now to those used by Donald Trump. We could not see it as any more different from the policy of the prior administration, which the president feels, we all feel, was inhuman, immoral, ineffective, wasn't operationally working. 
That's Jen Pippi Longstocking Saki. And because of the dysfunction of it, she said, we're dealing with the very broken system that we're dealing with today. Biden's the one that chose to end Trump's Remain in Mexico strategy for migrants, claiming that asylum opened a flood of migrants crossing into the U.S. and claiming asylum. Over 15,000 mostly Haitian migrants got to that bridge in Del Rio, Texas, waiting in a makeshift camp to be processed by the Biden folks. The president also restored the policy of catch and release. That allows many of the captured migrants that are caught coming in to remain in the U.S. until a court could hear their asylum claim, and they're simply given a, here's a court date, here's on this day, three, four, five years in advance. This is where and when you need to go to get your asylum claim heard. I mean, this stuff is really happening, and, and you know it. I'm not trying to bore you and waste your time talking about it unnecessarily. When asked about this new catch-and-release program that the Biden folks have put back in, they had an answer. They describe it as the practice of an alternative to detention. Saki again, she used the updated description when she was asked by a reporter why migrants from Haiti were being released into the country and not sent back immediately on expulsion flights to their home country. She replied, individuals who are not immediately removed or either placed in an alternative to detention are transported to an ICE facility. And she ignored concerns voiced by one reporter. The practice would only encourage more Haitians to cross the southern border into the U.S. And, of course, there was no real decent answer. That's exactly what they want. Let me just tell you this. When you keep coming up with the same question, and you never come up with a good answer. The question we all ask is, why are they doing that? Why are the Democrats so hell-bent on flooding the nation with illegals? And even illegals that they tag as refugees, the however many tens of thousands are here now, those Afghan refugees, they're here now. That's the whole thing. These illegals from Haiti, they're here now. The illegals from Central America, they're here now. The people in charge in D.C., they don't want those people to leave. They want them to stay here. What is driving the boat? If you you lay back and you look at all of the many possibilities for their thinking that, you know what? It doesn't take long to run the gamut of the total possibilities that you could come up with. There's only two or three. And every day it's confirmed the only one that makes any sense, the only one that could possibly explain what's going on here. Folks, the Democrat Party for more than a decade has been dying. And when I say the Democrat Party, I'm talking about Americans that are registered to vote and they register as Democrats and they're supporting the Democrat Party and their political philosophies. Every year the numbers keep going down and down and down. Now, the Democrat Party is not just a group of people that get together on Friday night and they share cocktails and coffee and they talk about their weeks. It's not that at all. These are a bunch of people that are part of a a machine, a system of machinery. And that machinery operates, as all machinery does, 
to accomplish specific goals and performing different tasks along the way to get to those goals. And what are those goals? Well, if you look at what the Democrat Party, the legislation that they propose and try to get passed, the things that they say, the people that they put in office around the nation and what they say, there is obviously no question their ultimate long-term objective is to seize total control of the government and end everything to do with freedom, liberty, justice for all. They want to seize control and become, whether they'll agree and call it authoritarians, that's exactly what it is. Joe Biden, he actually says often, he calls Donald Trump an authoritarian and Trump policies authoritarian ideas. And just because they say it, there are millions of people that are Democrats that hear that and they agree with it, not because they understand it, not because they agree or disagree with the philosophy because they don't understand it. It's because they're Democrats, and that's all that's necessary. And that means that every Democrat that's in D.C. in Congress or in the presidential administration or appointed to some other bureau or department, everybody just falls in line. That's one thing you can say is a big difference between the GOP and the Democrat Party. Republicans and their party, and I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat either, but the Republicans pretty much toe the line. But the gray area of beliefs, it's much larger, much wider, much deeper than that in the Democrat Party. Democrat Party policies are ironclad. Republican policies, not so much. And so what that means is the party doesn't, from the top down, the Republican Party, doesn't demand that every member do this and believe in this and there's no other alternative. They give Americans, even Republicans in their party, they actually don't just give, but they respect the fact that conservatives, true conservatives, they must operate in a free environment where they have the ability to make their own choices and not be bound by the policies of some overseeing group like the Democrat Party. So over the last couple of decades, many Americans, they're running away from that philosophy. They understand, they recognize that on the low end of the spectrum, it's pure socialism. On the top end, it's pure authoritarian totalitarianism. And maybe it's somewhere in between, but Americans more and more in number are watching the effects of this philosophy and they don't like it. And they're walking, in some cases, running away from it. Not all of them are going to the Republican Party, but Republican Party membership nationwide is way, way up from where it was. Democrat Party every year goes down and down and down and down. Democrat leadership, Democrat Party leadership refuse to accept it. And they're doing everything they can to change it. And they are running out of options. The only way that they could come up with any idea to make their numbers stop declining and in fact add to their supporters is to go get them from other countries. There you got it. That's what's going on. When you ask questions of why would they do this? Why would they reject this? There's your answer. 
anything that does not point toward giving Democrats more power and more opportunity, they're going to run from it. And they're going to bring all the necessary players to the table to help keep their egregious policies in place and to be able to add new ones as the big bosses direct. That's the way they go, folks. And that's what this is all about. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say the that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. Des Moines Help Wanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Separating fact from fiction, arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The Truth on TNN, truthnewsnet.org. Well, don't think for a second that everything is copacetic in the Biden White House. White House officials are alarmed, as a matter of fact, by Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas's mismanagement of the border. I said White House officials are alarmed by that. White House, that means Joe Biden. Well, this is according to a report yesterday that came out of BuzzFeed News. The article is based on comments from unnamed sources, as they always are. (laughs) But author Hamad Alizez has a good record of getting scoops from many senior and mid-level pro-migration advocates in government. The article's titled, Biden's approach to immigration is causing a huge internal rift and leading to a lot of confusion. Included in the article are a bunch of many pro-migration measures that have been adopted by Mayorkas, but the quoted sources, they lament the White House's continued use of the Title 42 rule to block almost half of the migrants who walk up to agents at the border. 
The source also blames Biden's political aides in the White House for not opening the border up to more migration. There is a complete lack of direction, said one administration official. Everything is deferred to the White House National Security Council, which can't see past low polls on immigration and are terrified their own shadow may be a pull factor. Career and political staff are equally concerned. They're almost exclusively focused on detention, deterrence, and generally treating asylum seekers with as much violence and inhumanity as the prior administration, this official said. Honestly, I don't know how much longer I can stay at DHS if this continues. I stayed because I believe Joe Biden and Kamala Harris when they promised to build it back better. The despair I'm feeling about what they are doing now is indescribable. I can't go on like this. But in the wake of all that, even that, Mayorkas's aides are determined to further open the border. For example, one senior DHS official argued to BuzzFeed that the U.S. superpower can't stop an army of foreign high school dropouts from penetrating the nation's border and taking jobs and income away from Americans. That makes a lot of sense to me. One senior DHS official said that migrant flows are going to continue. It would be better for the administration to focus on how to process them in a faster and more humane manner instead of focusing on how to convince desperate people not to make the journey. In reality, Mayorkas's DHS works hand-in-glove with the cartels and with U.S. nonprofits that are funded by elite donors to help economic migrants cross the border and get into Americans' jobs and housing. The semi-concealed official support for these migrants, you can understand it best as an establishment-run economic, economic policy of extraction migration. The policy is intended to aid coastal investors and their progressive dependents. How? By pulling cheap foreign workers, taxpayer-aided consumers, room-sharing renters into the U.S. economy by many legal illegal, and conditionally legal routes. Follow the money. It's what we tell you all the time here. Follow the money. The report out of BuzzFeed is interesting because major political outlets such as the New York Times and the Washington Post have provided very modest insight into the clashing politics of Mayorkas' DHS and Biden's political staff. The insight's difficult to get. Mayorkas is an immigration zealot who has repeatedly misled the many journalists and GOP politicians who don't understand the migration issue. He rarely accepts public questioning by skeptical and knowledgeable reporters. Moreover, many journalists, even top editors and producers, don't want to follow the money through migration politics, in part because they prefer to see migration as a social issue, kind of like civil rights. But Biden himself is clearly concerned that Mayorkas's handling of the border and Biden's poll ratings, by the, by the way, are clearly in decline because of Mayorkas's support for mass migration. That is the reason. That's why you heard walking away from a press briefing, Joe Biden, when asked a question by a reporter about getting mass migration under control. 
Biden said as he walked out of the room, we will get it under control. Public opinion, by the way, has shifted 17 points against Biden's migration policies. And this is according to Politico. The poll of 2,000 registered voters shows Biden with 55% opposition and just 36% support. Folks, that doesn't feed. Election wins. (laughs) And don't think for a second Joe Biden's not planning to run for re-election in 2024. But he's got to get there, and he can't get there if he lets this get worse and worse and worse. So have you wondered how the folks in Del Rio are handling all this crap? Well, while officials are struggling to get rounded up these illegal migrants in Del Rio, residents of the town have been under no lesser stress. Most residents from the small town dread the prospects of authorities losing control of what the massive influx of migrants is doing. It's affecting the community more at the border, said welder Freddie Castro, who lives there. A lot of people here come and go. A lot of people from over there, he's talking about across the dam in Mexico, work over here. They come over every day. And a lot of businesses have workers from over there, so that affects everybody a lot. 35,000, that's the official population of Del Rio. They saw, 35,000, saw 15,000 Haitians arrive under the Del Rio Acuna International Bridge last weekend. The Biden administration, starting from last Sunday, September 19th, had resumed deportation flights under Title 42. That's a Trump-era expulsion program that removes illegal migrants, and the reason for it is COVID-19 risk. Likewise, those not subject to Title 42 could remain in U.S. custody. Either they are put into an alternative to detention where they were biometric data is required, they are required to, they are given a notice to appear, or they are given, or they are put in an ICE facility, she said. The stumbling there were her words. That was an exact quote by Jen Psaki. According to the New York Times, while it's not been specified how officials sort out who to deport back to Haiti, most of those were single adults. Residents were worried about their town and what it would look like, how they would be able to afford to host these illegals. Big Dave, appliance store owner Dave Kinsey, was clearly upset. It all stinks, he said. We got to feed them. They're spending thousands of dollars to feed them. That's coming out of our pockets. We don't have the resources in this town. We don't have the resources in the United States. They need to go back to where they came from. Ronald Thomas was as well pessimistic, saying the U.S. government can't afford it. He had some ideas from his ranch, some items that were stolen. By game cameras set up close to deer feeders, he saw the perpetrators but could not say if they were illegals. The ones I saw on the game cam were in regular street clothes. They did have backpacks. The Haitians fleeing their country over poverty, hunger, political unrest, street crimes, and remnants of the August earthquakes As we found out, we reported a few minutes ago, that only applies to a small number. Most of these Haitians that are making this immigration 
across Central America are actually coming from South America, where many years ago a bunch of them left, went to South America, and they're living there, and they're coming to the U.S. because they want it better. Well, guess who stepped into the picture against this whole thing? Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Last night, he urged the Biden administration to act concretely and quickly, his words, to address the root causes of the deepening migration crisis affecting both of our countries. Now, I'll tell you this, Mexican President Obrador, his definition of root causes is different from the definition of root causes that we've heard from Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Oberdor said, it's enough talk, it's time to act. This is the first time since Joe Biden became president that Oberdor has spoken out so critically against U.S. authorities about the issue, this migration, illegal immigrant migration thing. According to him, it seems to have gotten out of control. He didn't mince words in his complaint to the U.S., urging us to take urgent action to address the migration crisis impacting the Americans. Tens of thousands of migrants, many of them Haitians, formerly living in South America, they arrive in Mexico in hopes of entering the States. We forget about it. All these immigrants that come through the southern border, they have to go through Mexico first. And whether they're flying in and making the trek or whatever, they're creating issues for the Mexican government and the Mexican people. They're tired of that, and they're now looking at it as our problem that is becoming their problem. And Mexican President Obrador, he doesn't like that. I can understand that. I mean, it's not his problem. He didn't cause it. And they're wanting to come here. They're not wanting to stay in his country. So why should he be the one that has to handle the issue? So Mayorkas, who we reported about, he's having some problems in credibility with the far left in his own party. But he is definitely an open borders guy. He makes no, he don't even try to hide it anymore. So yesterday, the question was asked, um, why, why have you said that all of the Trump stuff that was so unfair, so egregious, so inhumane. I mean, you said everything when you came in. And then you said everything that Trump implemented was being rescinded. Why would you continue to use a bunch of the Trump era policies and operations in this illegal migration process? If they're so egregious and so evil, why would you continue using them? How do you respond to the charge that the Biden administration, that the policy of the administration is inhumane and counterproductive? Well, first of all, let me say that we don't use the term illegal immigrants. I actually issued a policy in the Department of Homeland Security. We use the term non-citizen. And I'd like to understand from you what Trump era immigration policies have been banned ended, reversed, and if any investigations are underway by you. Uh, So we have rescinded so many 
uh, Trump immigration policies, it would take so much time to list them. Why not just give us one or two or three or four? Tell us. Give us some. Folks are coming over and across as if there is no border. Uh, So we have rescinded so many uh, Trump immigration policies. It would take so much time to list them. They haven't rescinded the ones that work by their definition, but they don't want to give Donald Trump any credit for anything. So their answer, I mean, his answer is, uh, we don't, we do, we don't even want to talk about it. So they don't, they won't answer the question. They won't answer the question. How many have come in? They won't answer the question. How many have been removed, permanently removed? They've made it sound like, oh, every single person that comes in, they're being removed immediately. And folks, that's tens of thousands through the last few months. We don't know that. They won't give us a number. Last night, (laughs) DHS finally came out. I don't know if it was an official report or somebody just snuck it out. We've been told that on those Haitian flights that resumed last Saturday where they were taking people back to Haiti, most of them being single, they made it sound like thousands of people have been removed. 1,401. 1,401 Haitian migrants have been removed on those flights since Sunday. The population of the Del Rio migrant camp peaked at more than 15,000 on Sunday. Roughly 5,000 remain in the camp as of yesterday morning. Where are they going to? Well, the administration wants us to think they wouldn't come out and say it, but they want us to think they deported them. They removed them from the country. They're just shuffling them around the nation, and only 1,400 have been removed. That shouldn't surprise us. Let's move on. I think it's very interesting. One of my heroes in Congress is Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa. Not because he's a Republican, but because he is a matter-of-fact, black and white, here's the way it is, the rule of law prevails kind of guy. He's 88 years old, folks, and he announced yesterday he's running for another term in the Senate. Wow. Wow. He did it this morning. Listen to this. He tweeted this. It's 4 a.m. in Iowa. So I'm running. Literally running. (laughs) He's up running. I do that six days a week, he said. Before I start the day, I want you to know what Barbara and I have decided. I'm running for re-election. A lot more to do for Iowa. We ask and we will work for your support. Will you join us? Hats off. I think that's a great idea. Now, I can tell you, age is just that. It's a number. And age doesn't necessarily mean in universal terms that when somebody reaches a certain age, they're no longer eligible to do this or do that or be this or be that. not saying that at all. I don't believe in that. If you look at the cognitive ability of this senator and our sitting president. There's no comparison. And so I say hats off to Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa. I wish him the best 
not because he's a Republican, but because of who he is and what he's done and what he continues to do. You heard about the furor in the House the last few days about the Israeli Iron Dome funding. The Iron Dome, if you don't know, I'll quickly explain it. It's a series, a whole network of defensive missiles that are only used when Israel is attacked through the air by foreign missiles coming primarily out of the the West Bank and out of um, Lebanon. And last, I guess earlier this year, earlier this year, over 4,000 of those rockets were launched at the Israeli country. And that Iron Dome deflected by knocking them out of the air. It was defensive missiles and rockets that were fired to do just that. We helped structure that in the beginning. And when all of these missiles that are in the Israeli arsenal to protect themselves, defensive, this is not attacking. This is defending the nation. When they run out, we've always helped replenish them. A bill before the House was to provide Israel with a billion dollars to fund the defense system, the Iron Dome defense system. That was just two days after the funding was removed from another spending bill, and it was removed from the original spending bill in the House because of pressure from the squad, Ilhan Omar and AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib are the key leaders of that. They are anti-Semites, and they don't try to hide it. And they put a lot of pressure on Democrat leadership to pull that out of the bill, the original bill. But boy, when they did, the world went crazy. Americans went crazy. And so they put it in a standalone bill and passed it yesterday. It's expected to fly through the Senate. That's a great thing. Some business news out this morning that's not good. Data firm IHS Markets said that its flash U.S. composite output index, which tracks manufacturing and services sectors, it retreated to 54.5 in September. That's a drop of one point from August 55.5. That's the lowest in 12 months, and they say it's going further and further lower. That is not a good sign for the American people, American business. And this one thing I want to tell you about, the efforts to disseminate that now discredited theory that the Trump campaign had those secret computer communications with the Kremlin extended beyond the FBI, CIA, and State Department to the U.S. Senate, we found out. Listen to this. And now we're talking about propping up a lie. Under the late Senator John McCain, during that whole thing going on, the Armed Services Committee engaged a former FBI official and his progressive-funded nonprofit to produce a report on that falsehood that the Trump campaign had secret communications with the Kremlin. Now, this is coming from court records. The Senate committee, now under Democrats' control, but then under John McCain's control, 
successfully waged a secret federal court battle this summer to quash a subpoena that would have forced one of its staffers, a guy named Thomas McConnell, to turn over documents and to testify about his dealings with former FBI analyst Dan Jones and his nonprofit, the Democracy Integrity Project. So listen to this, and this is what will blow your mind. A spokesman for George Soros confirms that Soros was one of the big financial backers of that Democracy Integrity Project that did that exact thing on Senator John McCain's authorization, created a false scenario to try to convince the Armed Services Committee that the Trump folks did have back-channel communications with the Kremlin. You know, I had a lot of thoughts about John McCain. Some were good, some weren't so good. But I can tell you what, this one just blew my mind. We had a Republican that was propping up the creation of false information by an entity funded by George Soros to lie to get Donald Trump impeached and removed. That's a wrap, folks. The week is gone. Well, at least this part of the week. We're going to be back on Monday. Don't forget about Bullet Points Saturday, Bullet Points tomorrow. You guys have a great weekend. And here's a good one on the way out, folks. You'll laugh. Well, I think my dog's a Democrat. And it breaks my heart to have to say an ugly thing like that. There's a big old pile of evidence that all points towards the fact my dog might be a Democrat. I pay for all his health care and I buy everything he eats. I provide him with a place to just to keep him off the streets But he just acts like he's entitled Even tried to unionize the cat Yeah, I think my dog's a Democrat He chewed up the Constitution That I keep on display Every time Benghazi's on TV, he looks the other way. What difference at this point does it make? I know he's a liberal, even if he won't admit it. He pooped on my living room rug and tried to tell me George Bush did it. He ain't got no papers. If he could find a ride to town, well, I know they'd let him vote. Well, sure, we've had some good times, and he's been fun to have around. 
But if he ever barks about my right to bear arms I'm gonna have to have him put down <laughs> Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? I pay for all his health care And I buy everything he eats I provide him with a place to live Just to keep him on the streets You'd have to be a socialist Spread the wealth, government health, flea-bitten Democrat.